Okay, well, uh, we are starting what I've told you guys is the most important series of the entire year. Um, with that, you know, as I've been preparing, I'm not sure if I've been more excited and nervous about anything since maybe, I don't know, my last child was born, okay? So that's pretty good, in, you know, comparison, okay? I mean, it's just uh, we have so much, uh, so much here to get right. There's so much here that, you know, if we can see it, will just transform us from the inside out. At the same time, because there's so much that has that potential, there's also so much that we have to cover and, and things we have to see. Um, when it comes to this topic with the gospel, I want to talk about, you know, what is the gospel? When we use this word, what are we talking about? And so the Greek word for the word gospel is eugelion. Eugelion. Everyone say eugelion. Okay. That means... Good news. Exciting? Man, exciting. So this word at the time, it has a Latin sister to it, okay? Evangelion, okay? The word evangel comes from that. The, the word gospel comes from that. At this time in history, the first century, this word is being used by Rome. It's being used by Caesar to continually spread out the news of the conquest of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is expanding, the power of Caesar is absolute, and they are a great and mighty thing. So the, the evangel, the good news, is constantly sent out throughout the entire land, telling everyone of the kingdom of Caesar that is being expanded. Now, today, whenever we talk about the word gospel, what's often used is we often mean, uh, how do you put that? We say gospel to explain how someone gets saved. Does that sound similar to you guys? Take about five seconds for me. Okay. In your own mind, in your own head, what is the gospel? The good news? So what is the good news? Well, you guys, that, that's not fair. You're not supposed to say Jesus. That's kind of cheating, right? Okay. Well, yeah, it is that, Matthew. Okay, here we go. Now, what's happened throughout history is that the gospel, the good news, when we talk about the good news, what we are saying is that this news, the gospel, is how God has chosen to, to take all of the Old Testament, all of human history, all of the ups and downs, the promises, the, the prophecies, the failures, the highs and lows of all of that, how God has chosen to tie that to His plan to restore everything, and then to not only do that, but also to usher in a new era where God is king. And to explain to us, to give us a picture of what eternity with him will look like. This is, is kind of a big deal. The gospel for us, the way that you understand gospel, it dictates the way that you understand the scriptures. It, it, it paints the picture of how you see who God is and what he wants from you. Your, your understanding of gospel is it's like a map key, if you would, okay? When you have this key, it tells you how to read and understand everything else in the atlas. Everything else in the map, and everyone says, atlas, what are you talking about? You know, we don't have atlases anymore. We have Google Maps, right? I mean, I guess not. Okay. In high school, I used to go on these road trips. And so, back then, I either had to print out the instructions from the computer, or I had to take an atlas. I used to think it was kind of cool to have the atlas, and so I'd be driving, have this whole thing out, you know, the pencil, and that's not very safe. I know, but, you know, and so what happens is, if you don't understand the key, 
If you don't understand what all the symbols mean, what all the colors mean, what all the measurements mean, and the words and the letters, if you don't get the key, then nothing on the map makes sense. That's what the gospel is. Depending on how you understand the gospel, it, it dictates the lens that you see all of Scripture through. And so when we talk about the gospel, we're kind of talking about a big deal. It's just a little bit important because, again, it shades the way that we see everything else. Now, I want to explain this a little bit more. Throughout history, the understanding of the gospel has changed in the church. It's gone through all different formations. Um, it's kind of like this. So, so today, when we talk about gospel, it's often used to kind of explain how someone gets saved. Now, what the gospel is, take a medicine bottle, right? Some ibuprofen, okay? What the gospel is, is the actual medicine inside. It's the actual pill that's going to, to bring healing and change in us. But see, the idea of salvation, how we get saved, it's almost like the instructions on the back. And so modern day, the way most of us understand the, the Gospels, has been it's the instructions on how to take the medicine. But what the Gospel really is, is it's the medicine itself. And so the Gospel is not the instructions on how to take it. It is itself what is going to bring healing to you, to Israel, to the entire world. Let's try a different one. How about music? Who likes music? Have you guys ever been in a car where the speaker system is just awful? Anybody? Okay, we're like, like uh, with the treble, it's just so high, it's just... Yeah, anybody? How about this, where, like, where the subs are broken so it flaps? Yeah? Right, okay. You can take Beethoven or Little Wayne. I mean, we, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Okay, anyway. Bethel worship, you know, because, you know, Air One, whatever. You can play it through those speakers. And if these speakers are not set to, to allow the treble and the mids and the bass to all come out at the right levels, the, the sound, what you hear, the piece of music, gets greatly distorted. And so you're not hearing exactly what the artist wanted you to hear because the, the settings are not right. And so throughout history, what's happened is certain times in history, we've taken the treble and just shot that up. And other times in history, we've taken the bass and shot that up. And right now in history, the modern church, what we have is a time where the aspect of salvation is the level that's been shot up, but everything else about what the gospel is has been pulled down. And salvation is crucial to the gospel, but it is not all of the good news. Does that make sense for us a little bit? And so... One last picture for this. Uh, who likes to paint? Anybody like to paint? We're super quiet this morning. Who likes, okay, when you were in kindergarten, who liked to paint with your fingers? Okay, some Picassos. Okay, here we go. All right. All right. So, so what happens, okay, when you're in kindergarten, you know, you get those little paints. And what happens most time is like they give you the primary colors, the red, yellow, and blue, right? The idea is with these colors, I can take yellow and red and blue, and I can make all of the different colors I could ever want, right? And so what happens with the Gospels is that most understandings of the Gospel have each of the elements. They have the red, they have the blue, and the yellow, okay? But it's all about how much blue or how much red or how much yellow they use. And so most of us have an understanding of the Gospel that has way too much blue or way too much red or way too much yellow. Does that make a little bit more sense? And so what happens is we can have these elements that are the gospel, but it can create an entirely different color, 
an entirely different picture of who God is and what God's doing, depending on how much of each we apply to the paper. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to dig in the Scriptures and find out what did Jesus, what did the apostles, how much blue, how much red, how much yellow were they telling us God was using to create the picture of who He is in the world. That's what we're talking about this morning as we talk about gospel. So before we go um, any deeper, I just want to be honest, this topic is, is, is so powerful. At the same time, it, it's, it's so complex and simple. It's, it's so vast, but yet so accessible. It's something that uh, the more that I've prayed about it, the more I've studied it, the more questions I have. And um, we'll do the best we can here together to, to open up this entire thing that God has done in Jesus. But what's going to happen is each week we're going to take one small piece of the gospel and open it up. Um, I should have next week those Russian nesting dolls. You don't talk about those dolls where it's like you take the head off and there's another doll, the head off, there's another doll, the head, yes? Or you guys think it's just a super creepy toy. It, well, you know, it is that. Okay, but you know, it's this idea where like there's all these little dolls inside of it. So the gospel on its face, the gospel truly is extremely simple. The gospel is Jesus. But what happens is, once we're able to, okay, yes, I'm, I receive that. And then we take the top, oh, okay. The gospel is, oh, okay. And it's this, and it's this, because it's everything that God did in and through Jesus. And remember, this, this, this work that God is doing through Jesus, it's, it's not just about the Jews. It's not just about salvation. I mean, he is literally wrapping up his entire plan from the beginning of creation all the way through eternity in one human being that is also God. It is a beautiful thing, and it's going to take some, some fun for us. So what's going to happen here as we begin to go through this is I want you guys to really kind of, uh, uh, for week one, we're kind of building a house, if you would, okay? The goal is, at the end of the series, we're in this beautiful house. We say, you know what? The, the family of God is going to look like this beautiful house. But today, what we have to do is we, we have to pour the foundation. Next week, we'll put up the walls. The week after that, we'll sheetrock it. We'll put windows. We'll paint it. At the end of the whole series, it'll make a lot of sense. But please just give me some grace because we can't unpack all of it in one week. So I encourage you... Each week, we're going to have questions. You're going to say, well, I see what he's saying there, but what about this, this, and this? Just bring those questions each week. And I, and I hope that as we go through it, it gets clearer and clearer. So as we jump into the gospel, here's the first thing that, that we have to understand. The gospel is about news, and specifically, it's called good news. We have to understand what makes news good. What makes news good? Anybody want, want to take a shot? What would make news good to you, Jenny? You won the lottery? How about this? Your house is on fire. Bad news. How about this, Jenny? I just won the lottery. Is it better news than if you won the lottery? Thank you. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> Thank the Lord for you being honest. You're about to just make this whole sermon just crash. Okay, so for us to understand the good news, there's a few things that we have to understand, okay? Here they are, if you're taking notes. To understand the good news, we have to understand the context, meaning we have to understand what's going on around, what's kind of led up to the moment, because God could have 
shared his good news at any time, okay, in all of history. He could have done it today, but he chose to do it in a specific place in human history. So what was leading up to that moment that made that the moment that he wanted to unleash his plan to transform the universe? Why is it then that he chose? So we have to understand the context. Secondly, we have to understand the recipient, okay? Who is this news originally to? For example, if I'm telling Jenny, you won the lottery, okay? It's going to be great news for her, right? Because she won the lottery. If I didn't win the lottery, I'd be like, good for you. But it's not necessarily great news for me, agreed? Okay, so who the news is to plays a big deal on who sees it as good news. And also, the actual content of the news, okay? Hey, you won $10 billion, or you won $10. It goes from, ah, to, okay. Get a McDouble on the way home, right? And so the actual content of the news, it dictates a lot how good of news this really is. So we have to, we have to understand the context, what's going on around it. We have to understand the recipient, who's getting the good news. We have to understand the content, what's being said. Why is this such a special thing? Now, to explain this a little bit more, here's some examples. Here are some headlines from history that were good news to some people and were bad news to some. Here we go. Here's the first one. Berlin has fallen. Berlin has fallen. And of course, this headline was at the end of the Second World War. Now this was good news to who? Yeah, to the Allied forces, right? It was good news to all of us. If you were in Japan, was that good news for you? If you were a Nazi, was that good news for you? Okay. No, it was not good news for you. Because remember, it's all about the context. If we didn't know what's going on, if we didn't know that this headline came from the fact that there was a war, that there were people trying to murder other people, we're trying to stop this evil from spreading across the world. If we didn't know the context, if we didn't know that this news was for us who won, and if we didn't know what the actual news was, the fact that the war is over, knowing those things allows it to be good news for us. But if you change any of those variables, it becomes bad news. For example, if we, if we have the same content, the same, the same context, but we give that news to Hitler. Guess what, Hitler? Berlin has fallen. Is that good news to Hitler? Okay. Here's another one. This was not so funny. Tower one has fallen. Tower one has fallen. Now, to most of us who are alive, September 11th, that means something to us, right? That was not good news to any of us. There are people across the world that was great news to them. Very similar to the first statement, Berlin has fallen. But what changed is that the context for us means something different because we're now the ones who have lost something. And so when that news hit us, it was not good news to us. Here's two more. Donald Trump is president. <laughs> okay, now, 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 to some of you, you're like, yes. To others, you're like, no. Okay, again, the whole point is, okay, the news does not affect each person the same way. It's all about the context, the recipient, and the content. Make, right? All right, now, here's the last one. Jesus is king. 
Now to you, that means a good thing. Now to Caesar, who has his own gospel, and Caesar is king, is that good news to Caesar? So what's he going to do? Murder that boy. And he does. Are you understanding... um, Trying to get that point to where we're starting to to see how these factors change the way news is understood. So with that understanding, let's go to our first passage in the Scriptures. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Now what this is, this is the first sermon following the resurrection of Jesus. We can safely say that the, the first New Testament sermons, if you would, the first Gospels were given from Jesus himself, from his own mouth. But it, it sometimes it's hard for us to hear it from him, so let's hear it from someone else. We're going to hear it from the first person sharing what the good news of God is after the resurrection of Jesus, after the work of Jesus has been started, after his, his, this entire plan of God has been put in action. Here's the first sermon from the Apostle Peter that we get here in chapter 2, verse 27. All right, here we go. He says, uh, So brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died, and he was buried, and his tomb here is here today. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, And we are all witnesses of of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, As we go through this series, we will continually come back to this sermon. There's much of that that probably was kind of like, okay, what's he even talking about? And this again, it shows us the depth of the gospel. Peter is trying to tie together all the way back to Genesis, to the Old Testament, to King David, to the prophecies, and he's trying to tie them all together to Jesus, and then tying it from Jesus to God's plan for the earth, for God's plan for heaven, for God's plan for all of creation, and he's doing it all in one sermon. And so as we go through the series, we're going to come back to this and we'll focus on different parts. But for this morning, the part I'd like you to highlight or if you're taking notes, take notes is this in, in verse 36. He says this, he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is one of the best, most succinct pictures of what the gospel is. It's what all of the Gospels tell us. It's what all of the Old Testament and the prophets and the human history is waiting for and pointing to. And it's what all of creation and of time leans and hinges upon, upon this Jesus being Lord and being Messiah. So, let's go ahead and unpack this. We've got a lot to do. All right, so here's the thing. We're talking about context. To understand news, we have to understand the context. So we have to understand what has led up to this moment in history. So why does Peter understand the news to be good? Why does he even understand it at all? And to do this, it's a little bit challenging. For us to understand the gospel, it demands that we understand all of this. Do you guys see this? 
demands that we understand all of this. For you to fully understand the good news of Jesus, it means you have to understand the context. Everything leading up to Jesus and what He did on the cross. The entire Old Testament. Now, um, with the Berlin Statement, right? If, if you didn't know, there's a world war. I'm sure that we have some teenagers in the back who, you know, who honestly don't have any idea you know, that there's a war with Germany, okay? If, if you were to go talk to them and say, hey, you know what? Berlin has fallen. They'd say, okay, great. And they pull out Twitter, right? And they, you know, it's not on Twitter. I don't know what you're talking about. Because they don't have the context. They don't understand why that means something. And for us, one of the biggest reasons that we have missed the gospel, one of the biggest reasons that we've, we've added too much red and too much blue without the yellow to make an entirely different color of what the gospel is, is because we don't understand the Old Testament. Now, I would love to tell all of us, hey guys, let's, let's go home this week and everyone just study the Old Testament for a full week and we'll come back and talk about this. None of us have time to do that, right? Or do you? Would you like to do it that way? Okay. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to slightly cheat. Okay? The best I can, I, I'm going to summarize this part of the Bible in a few statements. You guys ready? If, if you guys have notes, um, we'll have them up here. I'm going to fly through them. We don't have time to sit on these points. But this is the context. This is what has led up to the moment that God initiates His plan. Here's the first thing. The garden. The garden is the first thing that happened before this. Um, in the garden, the sin of rebellion has removed Adam and Eve from relationship with God and handed Satan authority over all creation. What followed the garden was covenant. Through the covenant faithfulness of Abraham and in turn Israel, God's plan of restoring what was lost from the garden rebellion of Adam shall come to pass affecting the entire world. So that the promise to Abraham, in essence the reaction of God to the rebellion of Adam, was to, to make covenant, to partner with Abraham to restore the entire world. He, he told Abraham that he would bless the entire world through him, through his line. And of course, we know that is the Messiah, Jesus. And so, in, in response to Adam, the first plan of God is put in action. And we see the covenant with Abraham. What follows is we see King David. In King David, we find a man after God's own heart who serves as a messianic picture, meaning He's messianic. He's a picture of the Messiah. He's a picture of what Jesus was going to do when Jesus returned. And he also receives a promise of an eternal reign to establish in his time. Now, pause for one second. I understand that uh, when I studied this, it's, it, it's so frustrating for me sometimes because uh, me and Pastor Zach were talking about this. It's so tempting to fast forward. It's so tempting to be talking about King David in the garden and about the prophets. And you're like, come on, can we just get to where it talks about me? Okay, spouses. Good husbands in the room. When they're talking about shopping, how engaged are you on average? Gotcha. Because again, right, I mean, it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your interests. You don't really care. It doesn't affect you if they bought this hat or that hat or this purse, that purse, as long as it was the cheaper purse. It doesn't really matter to you, right? I mean, again, the only, the only time you want to log in, the only time you want to check in is, is when they say, oh, and by the way, it was $500 I spent. You go, okay, wait, that affects me. I care about that. Now, the reason that this Old Testament stuff is so easy for us to fast forward is because it doesn't talk about us. 
The reason that we have a gospel that's all about salvation only, it, it's, it's only the one color without the other ones, is because it's, it's easy for us to learn about that because it affects us. Now the truth is, is that it, it, it all affects us. You can't understand salvation without understanding the story of Israel. You can't understand why Jesus is able to pay for your sins without understanding everything that happened before him. But we don't really care about that. We just want to fast forward through it. And again, the reason we have to log into this, the reason we have to connect, is because we will not see the correct picture of who God is and what he's doing if we don't make the effort to connect. And so I understand that some of this stuff is just a little bit, oh, the king, the prophecies. And trust me, as I was studying, I was like, can we just get to the fun stuff? But this is the stuff, when you understand this backdrop, if you would, it allows everything else to pop off of it. Does that ring? It's almost like uh, here in this room, if we had all windows right here, okay? You wouldn't be able to see the screen very well. The lights wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to see the lights very well because all the other light would, would affect and distort what's going on here. But if we want you guys to see the lights and the screen, what we do is we turn down all the other lights so the backdrop is able to set the right stage so you're engaged in the story. And so without the Old Testament, we don't understand why Jesus had to do any of this. It doesn't make sense to us. And what really connects here, and I'll save this for future, but what really connects here is that when you understand the Old Testament backdrop, the context, what happened leading up to this, it not only gives you a picture of God and what he's doing now, but it gives you an idea of what he's doing after this world, and it starts giving you a picture of heaven. I know all of you would like me to talk about heaven, right? Or not. Okay, okay, we don't have to. All right, here we go. So we've got King David. We have the promises that he's made to David. And then following that, we have the exile. So he's partnering with Israel to, to restore the entire world. But one, one thing happens. It's all based on their faithfulness, how they stay in trust and relationship with him. And, of course, they don't. And so what happens in the exile, because they're unfaithful, Israel has been conquered. They're exiled. They're dispersed. They're, they're spread out through the entire world because of this. And, and uh, they're... they're removed from their land and from their promise. And what follows this is, as Israel is in captivity, God begins to raise up prophets. He begins to raise up pe people with the anointing to tell the people of God what God's going to do. So basically, everything is broken, and, and now God's sending people to say, God's going to fix this, but here's how he's going to do it. And these prophets come before and during the exile, and what they do is they begin to tell the people of Israel about how God's going to restore them and how the Messiah is going to be the one to fix everything that's wrong. And of course, the most recent thing that leads up to this is the Romans. And so we have this thing where, if you can imagine, your children, your children's children, your children's children and their children have lived in captivity their entire life. They don't know what it's like to have any form of freedom. And there was someone a few hundred years before your children, 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 you get the point, were born, okay, who was telling them, hey, have, have hope, because this Messiah is going to fix everything. And so now we come all the way through these generations. These children have no hope. The promises are old to them. They're dry and stale. And so they have been trying to gain their own freedom. They've been trying to, to have rebellions and trying to fight back against the oppressors. But now they have a new oppressor, Rome. And what they've learned from Rome is that there's no getting out from underneath the, the control of Rome. Caesar has been very careful to find a picture 
of fear and torment to keep all of his everyone under his control. And that, that picture, that symbol is the cross. There are crosses that strewn the, the streets all throughout the Roman Empire. And on each cross there are people who are hanging there for days and weeks as a picture of what will happen to you if you fight back. This will happen to you if you resist this kingdom. I hope you guys can see some things that God's going to do here in the next few weeks through the Gospel. So that's the backdrop. So you ask me, okay, so we've gone through all that. That's the context, okay? But now we have to ask ourselves, what's at stake here? Why, why is it such an important thing? Here's, here's what's at stake. In Genesis 3, the first thing at stake is that God's plan to restore the garden, meaning the garden was always the picture of our relationship with God, meaning of, of God's ability to come and be near to us and our ability to be near to Him. That's the first thing at stake. The second thing at stake is will God fulfill His promise to Abraham to bless the world through them? Third thing, will God fulfill His promise to David that from this line shall come eternal reign, beginning with the defeat of the Romans and return from exile and oppression for Israel? We're going to come back. I apologize for all this load of information, but we've got to lay this, this foundation. Without this foundation, none of it will make sense as we go forward. But as we go forward each week, we're going to, we're going to connect each dot, and you're going to see the beauty of what God does in Jesus. The next thing on the line here is, will God fulfill His promise through the prophets that the Messiah shall come, inaugurating a new age of peace, which is shalom, justice, and jubilee, and end to sin? Okay. Now, I understand that that was rough, but stay with me. I just saved us all years of homework, okay? Years of homework Right there, okay? <laughs> All right, here we go. So the foundation's laid. Now we get to the meat of it, okay? Here's the question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, if you're taking notes, we summarize it this way, okay? The good news, the gospel is simply Jesus is Lord and Messiah, okay? If I had to be asked, you know, what is the gospel in one word, I'd say Jesus. If they said, what is the gospel in three words? Jesus, Lord, Messiah, and then after that, it's going to get a little bit complicated, okay? And so what's going to happen here is this. I want you to see what these titles mean. We're going to put it up here, okay? So Jesus, the first name we have here, what Jesus, the word actually means, what the name means is that uh, Yeshua. It means Yeshua saves. So his very name in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew, I forget which one, they instruct his parents to name him Jesus because his very name means God saves. And so the first fulfillment in Jesus, the first thing God is doing in the world through Jesus is He is sending a Savior. Move on to the second title, Lord. Lord is a title that has been used at that time among the Gentiles specifically. Lord gives Jesus, He is the God who saves, and now He is the God who is King of the world, the Gentile world. And now let's go to the next word, Messiah. Messiah was the, the Old Testament picture of this figure, this human that was going to come and restore all things for Israel and lead them as a king to the promised thing of, of God. And so what Messiah is, in the same way that Lord means that Jesus will be king over the entire world, the term Messiah shows us that He is also king over Israel, God's people. And in turn, He will also be our king as we submit and come under the new Israel. And so I hope you see like what this simple word means. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. What this is saying is that He's the God who's going to save everyone. 
He's the king of the entire world. And he is that same king that God promised to come through Israel. He is the Messiah. What do you think about that? Okay, we had the first egg, we're taking the top off. Okay, so, okay second egg, we're taking the top off. And I promise you, this is just the beginning of what God, what God did through Jesus. Here we go. Here's some things I want you guys to understand. So what's this mean, okay? So we understand the context, we've learned everything that went from the Garden of Eden all the way to the Romans taking over Israel. That's, that's what led up to it. That's the context of it. And so the message that's being sent, okay, the recipients are the Jews, and the message being sent to them is Jesus. The good news is this human being, it is, it is, a, it is a symbol of Yahweh tabernacling in man himself. It's a picture of the God who is so separated because of their failures coming literally inside of human form to show how near to them he is. And now we have to ask ourselves, since we understand the context, since we understand who's the recipient, since we understand the content of what's being said in the message, now we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean? So, if Jenny... Is, has got to her place where she is or her life and they have the finances they have and she's a recipient of news that she's won $100 billion. The implications of that is, okay, great, now I get to change all of these things that were affecting me le leading up to it and now the rest of my future will look different because of the content of the message I just received. And so the question here is, what does this message change for Israel or what does it change for us? So, let's answer a few things. Here's the first thing. Here's the first sequence of events. Here's the first effect that the good news, the gospel has on the entire world and on Israel. Here's the first thing. It means that God will heal what the first Adam's rebellion infected through the second Adam's obedience. So what the first Adam did by disobeying and rebelling against God, causing sin and death to enter the world through the obedience of the second Adam, and again, these terms are things that, that are used in Old Testament and New Testament Scripture. Jesus will come, and through His obedience and submission to God. It, I want you to see this. Adam steps out underneath the covering of God, and what happens is the consequence of sin and death. And Jesus submits Himself under God to the cross. His act of submission and obedience to the point of death. Because you see, the first act of Adam was to, was to protect his own life, to have his own way, his own, his own control over the future. We talked about this in the last series. And see, the second Adam, Jesus, gives up control of his own life. He's the one who had the power to do whatever he wanted. He, he could have killed everyone with angels. He could have, you know, disappeared. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But his submission coming back under the covering of Yahweh is what will bring the healing and restoration, not just of Israel, but of the Garden of Eden, meaning the picture of man being restored to God. And what heaven is, this new reign, the kingdom of heaven that God's going to create, it is the restoration of the Garden of Eden on the earth. We will be restored to the right way things were always meant to be by the sacrifice and obedience of Jesus. I understand it was so boring with the first part, but I you will start to see how this weaves together. It's this beautiful, magnificent thing that God did. Here's the second meaning. Here's the second effect that this news has. It means 
what Abraham's descendants could not accomplish, meaning God made covenant with Abraham and Israel to restore the earth. What they could not do by their own effort, God's son, who is also Abraham's heir, God's going to keep his promise, will bring blessing for Israel and for the entire world. What you see with this is, is that God is the ultimate promise keeper. He's the one who's always the one keeping his end of the covenant, even when the covenant is broken. And this is crucial. The way this affects you is this. He is he's the one that in, from all of history is keeping his end of covenant, even when the other end is breaking theirs. So even when God has permission to not uphold his end of the bargain, he still does, because that's who he is. And that means something. Because this is a picture of the way it will be for eternity. So even when you receive, you come under God, and you mess up, you sin, you mess up again, you continually begin to fall and you falter, and you are the worst Christian on the earth, right? Because you're not Jesus. He still keeps His covenant if you choose to receive it. Yeah, it is good news, right? You're like, oh, starting to affect us now. Here we go. Here's the third thing. God will fulfill his promise to David by establishing the eternal reign of Jesus, the king of God's new kingdom, a branch from the line of David from Joseph. What this means, again, we see this, this picture, this covenant with David. This is crucial because in fulfilling the promise to, to David, we see that one of the things God is trying to do, one of the things that God is choosing to do through Jesus is to not just come back to save. He's not just coming back to restore. He's coming back to rule. He's coming back to be a king and to rule his kingdom. And this has dramatic effects for us. And what this means, we talked about this in the Money God series. Whenever Satan is the one in control over the earth, the one who has control over God's people, he's the one who's able to keep us tied to the strings of need and lack and fear and death and pain. And he's the one who's allowed to play these strings. But when Jesus takes control, he's the one who's allowed to make all things right and perfect again. We'll open this one up next week. Here's the last thing. Here's what this means. It means that Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, will inaugurate the age of the Messiah resembling an eternal year of Jubilee. Jubilee, if you don't, uh, not very uh, familiar with that, it's, it's, this, it's this concept that there would be a moment marked in the people of Israel where there would be a time where all things lost would be restored, where all injustice would be made right, where all wrongs would be made right. It's this, it's, the, it's this idea that where God would come and he would, he would provide and he would, and he would reign in a way that everything that wasn't right would be made right. And what you need to understand here, the recipients, the Jews, did not have the concepts of heaven or hell that we have. What they thought the Messiah was going to do, he's, he's going to come at the end of days to end this moment in history and start a new moment in history. And in this new era, this new time of the Messiah, what he was going to do is have a time where the Messiah would rule, and because he ruled, everything would be right. And that means something to us today. I mean, I mean, 
Our entire lives are, are, are focused on trying to make our lives right, trying to make sure our, our, our marriage is right and our kids are right and our finances are right and our, you know, thoughts and emotions are right. We're constantly trying to wrestle to get things right. But yet this king, if we would just choose to live in his kingdom, he will have control over a place where everything is right. There is perpetual shalom, meaning wholeness, fullness. There's always this in His reign, when we choose to live in His land, everything will be whole and complete with nothing missing, nothing broken, and nothing lost. This is what it will look like when Israel's king becomes the king of the world. And the last thing that's going to happen here is that when He comes to begin this, this new reign, it's going to be marked with unprecedented peace, justice, and one huge thing that the prophet Daniel predicted that the Messiah would come and put an end to sin. Not saying that sin wouldn't happen, but that sin would not be counted. That somehow the Messiah would come in a way that where from His reign forward, sin would not be an issue anymore. It would not exist in His reign. He would come once and for all and take that weight of sin off. This is just a glimpse of what God is doing in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to end this morning with communion. And, uh, in John chapter 20, there's a fitting verse here to kind of to close us up. John chapter 20, verse 30. Here's what he says. He said, so Jesus performed many other signs uh, in the presence of, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. The gospel is not telling you how to receive the gospel. The gospel is telling you that if you would just have this thing, the gospel itself will bring healing to you, to your family, to the world, to all of time and history if you would embrace it. So communion is a beautiful picture of that. Communion is this picture where we, where we choose to take the body, the bread, this body that was broken, a picture of the people and the family of God broken, and a picture of the universe, the entire world being broken and separated, and that in His brokenness, He would supernaturally restore everything that was wrong. And in the juice, we have a picture of this blood that's being shed, this, this, this sinless sacrifice who had no right to even be there, and yet His blood has the power to not only forgive sin, but to remove sin from the rest of history.